0: Okay, well, if you turn in your Bible with me, please, to James chapter 4, and uh, let me start the PowerPoint here for you. Uh, If you're just joining us, uh, we're in a verse-by-verse look at the book of James. Uh, This uh, short but very, very helpful letter is uh, the topic of our discussion right now. And uh, let me pull this up here so you can see it, and hopefully... And there it is. Awesome. Okay, I'll move that out of the way here so you can see the whole thing. So um, we're in uh, James chapter 4 today, and uh, just by way of review... Uh, you'll remember that James is writing to the 12 tribes who are dispersed abroad. That would be the 12 tribes of Israel. This is in the the middle 50s A.D., so probably 44, 46 A.D. is when this letter is written. It, it likely was the first New Testament book written. You say, well, Matthew comes first in my Bible. I, I know that, but Matthew is not the first book written. Um, it, uh, James was likely the first one. And, and what, what's so interesting about this, and I hope as you're reading James you're remembering this, that this is the first bit of biblical guidance written down, inspired by God himself to an early church, a a church in its infancy. And uh, there's so much here to to glean by way of help. you know, we, we all think, uh, those of you that have done sports, we, we remember the old coach, uh, gentlemen, this is a football, right? You know, just getting back to the basics of, of uh, the game of football, and, and that's what James is really doing. He's taking us back to the basics of Christianity, and I think this is really timely and really helpful. It, it, it's also timely, as the title suggests there, is that this is real faith in difficult times, James is not just writing to help these early Christians to know what it means to walk with God and to live this brand new faith that they have, but he's writing in the context of great difficulty and great challenge, and uh, that's why we see him continuing to bring up the theme of, of difficulties and, and trials and whatnot. so uh, by way of review let, let's just, let's just walk our way through where we've been, and um, James sort of frames well, I guess I'm framing it uh, based on his topic in in terms of a series of questions. And uh, remember, what he's trying to do is he's trying to help strengthen the church by knowing what is real Christianity and um, what does a real Christian look like, and he gives guidance along the way. So, So the first sort of test, the first question that James sort of asks us in that first chapter is, how do you respond to challenges? And he gives a whole series of challenges that life brings, and he gives guidance. And, and we see here something of what the, uh, the this early church must have been going through in terms of lacking wisdom and going through trials, dealing with temptation, difficult relationships and, and things like that. So he, he, he first encourages people in what is living faith? What does, it, what does it mean to really walk with God by thinking about the challenges of life? And I hope, I hope you've seen as you've looked over these verses how relevant and applicable they are to the challenges that we face today. Uh, the second question that he kind of gets into is uh, this question, does your faith lead to godly action? And, and good night, D- does Bible Belt Christianity need to hear this one? what is what is Bible Belt Christianity? I remember as a, as a brand new pastor here, I had to figure out what living in the South was like, um, you know, all the all the accents and creative grammar, and um, you know, all that goes with that, and, and learning that. Uh, you know, if you order tea in the restaurant, which where I'm from, you get something hot and steamy. If you order tea in a restaurant out here, you get something cold and probably sweet, right? You know, So there's some translation that, that's needed. But, but Bible Belt Christianity, not, not just Southern living, but Bible Belt Christianity is cultural Christianity. Uh, now, this is changing. I mean, have you noticed in Hood County, it's changing right now. It used to be most people went to church. Most people said, yeah, Jesus is important. There is a secularism and a growing, I see Mr. Goodner nodding there, uh, uh, an atheism that things are not the way they were, right? You know, Callum, Callum pretty much grew up here. And he can attest to that too. So. Um, so, so the question is: does your faith, does your Christianity actually lead to godliness? Southern Christianity says Jesus is important and I go to church and and, and I try to be a nice person, right? Biblical Christianity says trusting in jesus by grace alone through faith alone is the true mark of what it means to walk with god and that real faith will spill over into being a doer of the word and loving your neighbor and not showing partiality and producing good works those are the evidences that our faith is real and james is quick to point those out uh not to get too personal but he talks about how our words need to be under control and spends a whole section talking about that and then most recently we looked at a godly wisdom. James asks the question, what kind of wisdom do you wear? Is it a worldly wisdom or is it a godly wisdom? And that brings us to where we're at today, and that is how do you handle conflict? So here we go, chapter 4, verse 1. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? James says, I'm glad you asked, let me tell you. Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? Now, look up for a second. Does that shock you? What James is saying is the reason that you have conflict and difficulty. We, we, we would expect for him to say, What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your spouse that wages war in your kitchen, right? We would expect something like that. Is not, is not the source your financial difficulty that makes you know, living paycheck to paycheck uh, extremely stressful, right? But that, he doesn't say it. What does he say is the source of quarrels and conflicts? Did, did you catch it? What's the source? Your pleasures, wait, wait, whose pleasures? Whose? Your, you guys are like, I don't want to say that too loud. Your, it's me, it's my problem. I am the reason that I have conflict in my life. And he identifies the source is the pleasures. Your your, your, uh, version might say passions or something like that. And do you remember what that word means? It means the feeling you get when you get what you want. That rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? The feeling you get when you get what you want. I'll put it real simple. You and I are in love with getting our own way. We are obsessed with getting what we want. And we love the feeling of gratification when we buy that new boat from Bass Pro Shops or that new special firearm or whatever it is or or that, that Pinterest idea that now is taking uh, reality in my living room, ladies, and I'm working on my girl analogy, so keep keep giving me help here, okay? Right? I mean, that, that, you, you love that, and, and and James says, that's the problem. You love getting your way too much. Uh, the feeling you get when you get what you want, and that wages war inside of you. We're a walking war of wants, right? We have wants, we have desires, and when those wants go unmet, they collide with other people, then that 's a problem, right, and you know how it is you know things don 't always go your way at work, do they things don 't always go uh, your way with your your spouse is not the same as you Your children are different you, you ever look at your children and you go, "Where did these short people come from that i can 't relate to them right and maybe there was like a, a switch in the in, <laughs> in the hospital right and you know because our children can be very different than we are, and uh, those differences create occasions when our sinful desire to get our own way comes out, and now it results in a fight, okay? So now now notice, look back at the text. It's not the source, your pleasures that wage war in your members, meaning we love to get our way, and that creates a war inside of us. Verse 2, you lust, or your version might say you desire, you, you lust, you want something really bad, and you don't get it, so you commit murder. You're envious, you can't obtain, so you fight and quarrel. And so here's the bottom line of what James says, okay? Anger and conflict and quarrels and fighting come down to simply this. You are not getting your way. And this is where if you've been a parent, or even better, if you're a grandparent, and you know it's now it's someone else's kids, right? They're your grandkids, but you can you can give them away at the end of the day, right? And just enjoy them. Uh you see that little two year old, right? And uh, th- this is great. Uh, you know, you, you, you look at what happens when, uh, you know, someone comes by and picks up the toy that the two-year-old was playing with or, you know, you you put uh, a supper down in front of them that they've never seen before and they turn up their nose. And, and, and you, you, two-year-olds illustrate this so great, right? They just, and they don't when they don't get their way. And James is saying, um, I hate to be the one to break it to you, but you and I do the same thing. We're just a little more sophisticated at hiding sometimes our, uh, our our shock, our our horror that we're not getting our way. So, okay. So, what I did with you last time, we're kind of we're kind of pulling the car over a little bit here in the study. Because I, I want to develop this even further, and, and we're going to come back and, and walk through. But James has put a couple of pieces on the table that we just have to kind of organize, okay? So um, if you missed this from two weeks ago, the complete diagram is on the back of your notes, okay? So you don't have to freak out and figure out where you're going to write this down. Um, I want to show you today the progression of conflict using James as a starting point. How and why do you and I struggle with conflict and fights and anger in our relationships and uh, life? And then what we're really going to focus on today is, okay, what do we do about it? When we have that conflict, when we recognize that we've we've fallen prey to being loved with getting our way and, and then wanting things and not getting them, how do we get out of that? Okay, so just by way of review, uh, James tells us here that conflict does not start because you married a person different than you conflict does not start because um you uh are in the wrong circumstances or or your economics or something like that And, and and that's what's so helpful guys circumstances are not the culprit you say wait a minute when i'm in better circumstances i don't fight as much that is true But remember what the Bible says. Paul tells us in Philippians 4 that he found a way to be content in whatever circumstances he's in. So mark it, guys. Biblical contentment is not dependent on a certain set of circumstances. It depends on the reliability and faithfulness of your Savior. That's Philippians 4.13, okay? Just write that down there. But where does conflict come from? It doesn't come from circumstances. It actually comes from the disposition of your heart. We looked at this last time. There's only two choices on the shelf, right? Pleasing God or pleasing self. And so the Bible tells us, for example, in 2 Corinthians 5.9, that our aim, our goal as Christians should be to live for him. And if we if just write down 2 Corinthians 5.15, we looked at that last time, that Jesus died on the cross to rescue us from the bondage of living for myself. Second Corinthians 5:15, Jesus died so that we who live would no longer live for ourselves but for him who died again uh, and rose on our behalf. Okay? We come into this world pre-programmed in our fallen condition to live for myself. And the Bible is saying that's the problem. That's the real source. That's where conflict begins. I am set on living for me. I am in love with getting my way. We all come into this world believing Burger King theology. I want my way right away. And uh, and that's the problem, right? Jesus comes in the gospel to rescue us. Uh, what, what Can I ask you this? What should the goal of the Christian be? What's the goal? To glorify God. To glorify God. The glor- glorify God means I'm not living for who. I'm not living for myself, but instead I'm living for. Just think about that. I I, I told you the the example that uh, let's say let's say Lisa and I go and we're gonna we're gonna paint we're gonna paint the kitchen, and some of you remember this from last time. We're gonna paint the kitchen, and I'm a guy which means I see about eight colors in the world. You know, there's blue and yellow and orange, and uh, right. You just pick from those eight colors, and uh, and I'm also. Uh economical, which means uh you know, the the builder grade paint uh that's nine ninety nine for a gallon is what I'm gonna pick, right? And uh my wife, who's a girl, and girls see in sixteen point seven million colors, and and they know colors that I can't even pronounce, like like fuchsia and periwackle or peri what's it called? Uh peri what is it? Perry Winkle, yeah. See, see just like that, that you know, I can't even pronounce them. They're unidentifiable. And so so we're we're there at Lowe's and it's like, hey, I think I think orange is the kitchen needs to be orange. I mean it's just you know, and we get the builder grade paint, and she says, Well, I was thinking kind of like a pastel thing, and I'm going, a what? What's a pastel? Um, and she's saying, you know, I was doing some research on this and you know, actually if you get the paint That's 49.99 that has the primer and you only have to cover it once i'm going 40 You know, that's that's like five times as much as the builder grade and, and that's just doesn't seem like a good deal and, and and here we are right in aisle five at lowe's and and uh, things are getting a little heated, right? And and before you know it we're having a conflict now The first thing that the Bible identifies there is that my problem in disagreeing with my wife and starting an argument is I want my way too much. I'm living for myself instead of living for God. Listen to this. Mature Christians know how to deal with disagreements, even strong disagreements, in a way that honors Jesus. And it starts by turning away from our natural bent of living for self and instead living for God, which is the purpose of the gospel. So it starts with the disposition of our heart. That leads secondly. This is all review. This is for you guys that weren't here last time. Review is what we just saw in James, right? That disposition, that direction of my heart, right? Am I living to please God or am I living to please myself? That then gets translated very practically into what I want in life. What do I want? My desires, right? And, and we've read here that, that this these passions, these pleasures... This fallen desire to get my own way is the problem. See, if if I if I walk into Lowe's not conscious of living for Jesus instead of me, and then my wife uh, shares a different opinion about paint with me, what am I going to do? Well, I'm going to say, well, m- my way's better, right? It's more like an economical. It's a color I can pronounce. You know, it's, it's clearly superior because I love to get my way. Well, guess what? I married a sinner just like you guys that are married married a sinner, right? So now you've got another person who's also tempted to live for themselves that also has their own set of desires, and now you've got conflict. But, but mark it here, guys. Long before we disagreed over paint... There are realities going on in our hearts that set us up for the conflict. Okay, I'll say it like this. The conflict doesn't start with a disagreement over paint. The conflict starts in the direction of my life. Am I living for self or am I living for God? Secondly, it it, it translates into uh, what am I wanting? Do I want to get my way? Do I want to get the paint that I want to get? Or am I living for something better? And as Regine and others have said a moment ago, a Christian should want to glorify God more than they get their way. Now, as we say, that'll preach, won't it? Right? Politics. Our goal should be to live for God, not get our own way. Family. Our goal should be to live for God, not get our own way. Finances. Our goal should be to live for God and not just... See? In in every realm of life, Jesus says, I want first place in everything. And, And it's so simple, guys, but wanting to honor Christ instead of gratifying yourself, myself, is the key to so much of what it means to walk with God. And that's why James is spending some time here. He's saying, let me let me tell you why you fight and quarrel. It's not your spouse. It's not your kids. It's not your job. It's not your economics. It's not that difficult person. It's not your medical condition. It's residual sin that loves to live for self and get its own way. And that part of us needs to die. And that's why it's so hard. Okay, so disposition, desires, that leads now, by the way, the black line here on the on this outline represents the inside of you versus the outside, okay? When I walked into Lowe's, nobody knows my disposition, nobody knows my desires until somebody crosses what I want. Then it comes out, right? Now, that occasion's a difference, right? This is the development of conflict. It starts with a disposition of my heart. That leads to desires, certain things I want. Then we have an occasion for a difference. She wants periwinkle and I want orange. She wants the $50 super-duper Lowe's paint. I want builder grade, uh, right? You say potato, I say potato. It's it's any sort of difference in life. And and have you noticed that we have some of the worst fights with people that we love over really, really dumb things? Do you notice this? Do you know what that tells you? The topic isn't the issue. The topic isn't the issue. And yes, there are hills to die on, and we'll talk about that. But but the topic is not the issue. The issue is we love getting our way and we want what we want, and we when we don't get it, we act like two year olds. And so that difference is the occasion, right? And that leads to a disagreement. And again, I said this last time: the disagreement in your marriage, the disagreement with your family, the disagreement with the boss, is not the cause of your conflict. It's the occasion. That disagreement, that that difference, is where God says, "Bloop, let's see what's in your heart right now." And that difference, that disagreement, is a test. Are you going to live for God or are you going to live for yourself? And what James says, going back to the text, when we want something and we don't get it and we commit murder or we're envious, right? That's another way of saying we want something and we can't obtain, we fight and quarrel. He's saying the fighting, the quarreling, the anger is a symptom that we want something too much. That we're not living for God, we are living for self. Uh, you've heard me say before, anger is God's warning system that we want something too much. And that's the problem. Okay? Now, 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 footnote on this. Why did God allow you to marry somebody so different than you? Or have kids that aren't carbon copies of you? Or a boss that looks at it differently, or a professor, or a sibling? Why? Because He loves us. And we would be incredibly more selfish than we already are if all the people in our life were just like us. So you ready for this? The fact that God puts people in your life that are different than you is a rescue operation. It is a rescue operation. You say, how's that? Because God wants to rescue you from your residual selfishness that keeps you living for you so that he can further change you into the image of Christ where all the time we think about how to glorify him, not get our way. It's a rescue operation. And so if you think about it, every time something happens in life, God, why does this, why does it, what are you doing, politics and money and stuff and my marriage and, right, my health. And every time you hit something that says, why does this not going the way I want it to go, stop for a second. And before you freak out and melt down, just say, remember, God loves me and he wants to make me more like Jesus and that's why he's doing this right now. He's giving me an, an opportunity to die more to myself and live for him and live for my neighbor and, and, and realize that those things that I want aren't quite as important as I think they are and that's going to make me more like Jesus and that's why God is doing this. Does that make sense? What would your marriage be like if that was your reaction when you didn't get your way? What would our families be like if that was our reaction when we didn't get our way? And, you know, I'll put my hand up. I I am a a slow work in progress just like you guys are. But this is the perspective. God is doing something good in the disagreements of life. He is demonstrating. He's going, you know what? See that right there, Keith? I think that's become a little bit too important to you because you're getting all worked up about it. Maybe that's an area you need to turn away from and think about how you can honor me in that situation, okay? So difference, disagreement... That leads to detonation. This is when, uh, that's verse verse 2, right? You want something, you don't get it, so you commit murder. You're envious, you can't obtain, so you fight and quarrel. So this is the sinful response because I didn't get my way. And that leads, of course, to disintegration. Have you guys noticed this? When you have conflict and anger and you don't resolve it biblically, bad things happen. This is what makes marriages bitter. This is what... Uh, sours and poisons relationships. This is what makes grumpy people that this is what produces every sort of Resentment and coldness and unforgiveness uh, Ephesians 4 verse 27 even says you give you give the devil the opportunity in your relationships when you let the sun go down in your anger And don't deal with it in a biblical way Okay, so that's all review. Are you with me? C- can you can you look at that and say you know what? The last time I had a conflict, I can I can kind of see. Yeah, I was kind of living for myself. I wasn't really thinking about God. Yeah, I was really wanting something too much, right? Okay, yeah, someone did didn't want to give me that. And yeah, I did kind of blow up and so use this as a diagnostic to see your conflict for what it really is and now I want to show you what to do about it. Okay? So how are we going to resolve this, okay? Well, believe it or not, you don't start, see, see what we want to do, if I'm disagreeing with my wife on, on aisle five at Lowe's and we're getting a little disagreement, a little having a little fight there, right, in, in the paint aisle, um, my tendency, just like yours, is to believe that the problem is her. Right? We men, husbands, are we right? We do the same thing that, that Adam says to God. It was the woman who you gave me, right? She's the problem. You fix her. If she would just see it my way, and and girls are thinking, yeah, uh huh, he hasn't done any research, he hasn't anything, he thinks builder-grade paint is the way to go. We're gonna be painting in two years from now. That's what she's thinking, right? And we're tempted to think that the way you resolve the conflict is you press into those middle elements. I've gotta convince her that I'm right, and she's wrong, and, right? And God says, you know what, that's the last thing you address. God doesn't care about a paint color. He cares about your heart. And your heart is the thing that needs attention first and foremost. So ask yourself some questions. And by the way, if you flip your outline over, this picture is filled in. So don't feel like you have to draw it all in. So the picture I'm about to show you is on the back of your notes, okay? Ask yourself the question, where is the focus of my heart? Who or what am I worshiping? Whose glory am I living for? You start talking to yourself like that, you're going to be like, oh. And that is an occasion, guys, for repentance and confession and forgiveness. We must deal with the sinful heart behind the conflict. You ready for this? The, the 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 biggest problem in my marriage is me. It's me. Now, that takes a lot of faith to believe, doesn't it? But we're in, when we are in our biblically informed mind, we see that yeah, you know what? Behind every conflict is me, a sinful person, striving to get my way instead of living for God. So that's an occasion for repentance, confession, forgiveness. I'll explain what that is in just a moment. What did I want? What lusts are ruling me? And, okay, now we get to talk about the paint color, right? Okay, I've dealt with my heart, Pastor Keith. Now we deal with the paint color, right? No, no, no. Now you got to go repair the damaged relationship that you just created. Now you go to the bottom elements, how did I sin in my response toward my wife? How am I currently sinning against my spouse? You say, what do you say currently sinning? Currently sinning is when she's sitting on that side of your house and you're sitting on that side of your house and you walk by like ships in the night. There's no communication. And, and, and you know, it feels colder in your kitchen. You know, you standing in the... Right? At, that's how you're currently sinning when you don't deal with these sorts of things. So you deal with your heart first, right? That's the first part. Then you go and you confess your sin to your spouse or to your boss or to your kids or whatever your conflict and anger, whoever was affected by that. And by the way, um, who is the party chiefly sinned against in every offense? God is. So it starts with confessing our sin to God. That's, that's the first part. And then we go and we confess our sin to our spouse or whoever is... Uh, who we sinned against, okay? Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Pastor Keith, we fight a lot. Um, We have to, like, do this every time we, Uh uh-huh, that's absolutely right. Every time you you sin, you you fall into this, we repent, we confess, we go seek forgiveness. Every single time. This is how you maintain harmony and unity in your home. It's how you maintain a love and fellowship with God. It's how you grow more into the image of Christ. And it is a lot of work, especially, I didn't grow up with this. No one taught me this. So I did what, what most of most of what we all do. You try to figure it out. You know, you, you have a fight with somebody and you're like, sorry. Maybe you go buy or something, right? Maybe you try really, really hard to be nice and that, that, that's good, but that's not going to repair the damage that happens in conflict. OK, so so I deal with my heart first, right? Repentance, confession, forgiveness. I deal with the broken relationship with my spouse or whoever it is I'm having the fight with repentance, confession, forgiveness. Now, what do we do? Now, 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 as friends, listen, as friends, we're back in fellowship. We have confess sin. We've forgiven each other. Now we can sit down, brother and sister, in harmony and unity and talk about, do we get the Builder grade paint or do we get the $50, you know, Lowe's Super Duper paint? But we do it as friends. We do it together. We do it without bitterness and animosity. We do it with selflessness toward our own opinion. We work together to solve the problem biblically. We'll talk about what that means. Okay, so how does this translate into an actual procedure for doing this? Um, if I'm going to go do that, can I just give you some like real practical stuff here? Um, repentance, confession, forgiveness. What does that look like? Um, before you get to confession, repentance, forgiveness, there's some preliminary stuff you need to do. Uh, so let me just give you this, okay? You got this on your notes. Do you have preliminary matters there? Okay. Number one is a commitment to reconcile. Uh, Ephesians 4.26, do not let the sun go down in your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. Uh, you're not going to do this if you don't think it's the right thing to do. And it's incredible how many Christians don't, are, are, well, let me say it like this. It's incredible to me how many Christians are not committed to biblical reconciliation they're They're committed to sweeping it under the rugism. they're committed to giving it time to healism. they're they're committed to uh just ignoring the problem it'll go awayism but they're not committed to actually reconciling conflict and have, just raise your hand if this is true. do you know if you ignore conflict, it does not get better, it gets worse. Raise your hand if you know that that's true. It just gets worse, doesn't it so is it pleasant to deal with conflict? not usually. But if you ignore it, it's, it's like a cancer. It's just going to grow and get worse. The sooner you intervene, the better. So, so can I just ask you today on the basis of Ephesians and on the basis of what James is telling us, can we just commit in so far as it depends on us to reconcile our relationships with other people? We just need to make that commitment before the Lord. It, it's, it's difficult, it's heart-wrenching, it's emotional, uh, there are a thousand other things that we'd probably say would be more pleasant to do than conflict resolution, but it is essential for our marriages. It's essential for our families. It's essential for our church. Um, we're not all alike, are we? We're committed to a lot of the same things, but we're not all alike. And, you know, we sit at an elder meeting. Maybe you're sitting at Awana Women's Ministry, and all of a sudden it's like, well, hey, uh, I think we should go this direction. Or well, I think we should go this direction. Maybe things get a little ugly. And now there's some, some uh, feeling bad and some hurt feelings. And we don't just let that go. We can't let that go. We have to go to that person and say, I'm so sorry. I, I, I was demanding my way and thinking only myself and not you. I wasn't listening very well. Will you please forgive me? My friendship with you in Christ is more important than getting my way. So there needs to be a commitment to reconcile. And if this is new to you, put this in place in your family. Put this in place with your marriage. Teach this to your kids. Do this in your workplace. Here's the second thing. Uh, Lisa and I found this to be true early on in marriage. So let's say there we are, aisle five at Lowe's, and we're having a fight. Um, One of the things we realize, and maybe this is true for you, if you try to jump into confession and forgiveness right away, it often doesn't go very well. And the reason is, my heart isn't ready to do that yet. And maybe you felt like that too. I don't want to confess my sin to her. I was right. It was all her fault. See, that You're not in a good frame of mind if that's what you're thinking. So Lisa and I have this little habit, and I hope that it's helpful to you. Maybe some of you do this too. If we recognize that there's a conflict going on, there's been sin that's happened, we'll say, hey, you know what? We need to stop this. This, this isn't honoring God. This isn't good. Um, I need to go get my heart right. She probably says, "Yeah, I need to go get my heart right too." Okay, so it's it's uh, it's 6:15. Um, let's meet back here in the living room at 6:30, and let's work this out. Okay, and then we break the huddle, and then she'll go find her Bible. I'll go find my Bible, and we just spend some time talking to God, and and getting your heart right. Confessing. Seeking God's forgiveness, dealing with those desires, those wants, that selfishness. That's the prerequisite to then go going and getting right with the other person. So give yourself some time to do that. Put a deadline on it. You know, you don't you don't want people going and locking themselves in in the you know the the, the den or the garage and you know it's six hours later you haven't seen anybody. Don't do that. But 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 give yourselves some time and agreed upon time to get your heart right with the Lord, and then come on back at at the predetermined time and work it out. Okay, do that. Number three, you have to understand confession and forgiveness. You have to understand confession and forgiveness. And again, I I think forgiveness is is uh, forgiveness is one of those things that every Christian is familiar with, but I think very few Christians really understand. So let's, let me just talk, talk to you about this real quick, and I'm, I'm, I put a, a list there from Ken Sandy's excellent little booklet called Biblical Peacemaking, and in it he catalogs uh, what he calls the seven A's of confession. Seven A, like the letter A, because they all start with A. So when we say confess and repent of your sin, what does that mean? Okay, um, I don't have time to unpack all of this for you, but Simply to understand, each of these elements is a a true part of biblical forgiveness and confession. Okay, so look at this. Number one, you have to address everybody involved. Okay, you can't confess and repent if you don't actually deal with the people involved. Now, who's who's involved in every sin that you commit? Always God, sometimes other people. So 1 John 9, if we confess our sins, meaning to God, right, we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So always, always, always I have to confess and address God because every sin I commit is against God. Now, if if I'm getting ugly with my wife, I'm I'm saying hurtful things to her on aisle five at Lowe's, well now I need to go talk to her about that too. Number two, I need to address, or excuse me, avoid if, but, and maybe. You say, what, what are those? Those are words that kill your confession those are confession killing conjunctions if you want those okay for you grammar people out there uh if i if i say that oh sweetheart i'm i'm so sorry yeah i was just I, I was just not listening very well and just kind of wanting my way you know if you looked at our finances though you would see that we can't afford that pain what what did i just do i just justified i just killed the confession because i'm making an excuse and i'm coming around to blaming her again aren't i So avoid if, avoid the word but, avoid the word maybe. Confession involves you admitting what you did wrong, taking 100% responsibility and not in any way blaming her or uh, trying to divert the topic there. Admit specifically what you did, both attitudes and actions. So if I'm talking to Lisa about demanding my way over paint, I'm saying when I said those hurtful things to you, I was wrong. And I should not have said those things. That's my actions. But I'm also admitting my attitude. Sweetheart, if I if I'm if I'm being honest with you, I was really only thinking of myself. I was being really selfish. I wasn't listening to you. I was thinking that I my way was best, and, and I wasn't really really considering that you had something to contribute to the conversation. If I'm being honest with you, and that's wrong. I'm just I'm being selfish. So I have to admit my attitude, my actions. Number four, acknowledge the hurt, right? Have you have you guys noticed this? Sinning hurts other people. It hurts. And so I say to her, I'm so sorry when I said those ugly things to you. I know that was very hurtful to hear. Uh, Proverbs says there's one who speaks rashly like the thrusts of a sword. And that's what our words can feel like sometimes, right? Accept the consequences. That means I'm going to make right what I made wrong. This is the principle of restitution. If restitution is appropriate, you know, if I, if I break a window with a baseball, the right thing to do is what? Pay for the window. Replace it, right? Um, if, if I have, bro- even serious, like really, really serious stuff, if I have broken trust by committing adultery, the consequence might, might be, I'm not gonna freak out that my wife doesn't trust me anymore. And I need to commit myself to rebuilding that trust and recognize that's gonna take time, right? That's a consequence of sin. Alter your behavior. This is repentance, right? What I should have done, what I, this is a great, you, you know you've repented when you can look back and say, this is how I should have handled it. This is what I should have said. This is what I should have done. This, this is what my attitude ought to have been. And then finally, I need to ask for forgiveness. Now notice the last part there is not apology. You think, hey, apology, right? It's not apology. Apology is not asking for forgiveness. Not, not usually. Um, you know, if if I get angry at Mr. Goodner, we're, we're playing some hoops, we're playing some basketball. Me and Callum and Caleb are out there playing basketball, and I and I and I just I just get aggravated because you know he's just putting up three pointers all over it. So I elbow him in the in the ribs and knock him over, you know, and ha-ha, And then I come, oh, brother. I I'm sorry, bud. I I know that. I just I was getting angry, and you know you were totally totally killing us, and um, I apologize. Mr. Goodner's going to say what? Apology accepted. No problem, right? That's usually the response. Forgiveness is different, though. If I say, Will you forgive me? What am I doing? I'm asking the other person to do something, aren't I? I'm asking them to pardon what I did. In fact, forgiveness in the Bible is a fourfold promise. And some of you have seen this before. For some of you, this is brand new. What is forgiveness? Forgiveness is a pardon and a promise regarding sin. When you ask somebody, will you forgive me, you are asking them to make a promise that has four elements to it. You ready? Number one, I'm not going to dwell on it. This is the mind test, right? You know how it is. Somebody hurts you, somebody does something, and you just want to replay that video in your head all day. Oh, I should have done this. You know, what, what, you know right? You use, you play that over and over. Forgiveness is saying, I hit stop on the replay. And every time that thought pops into my mind, I discipline myself to say, no, I forgave that. I'm not going to replay it one more time. That's the mind test of forgiveness. Number two, this is the history test. I won't bring it up and use it against you, right? So, so the next time paint comes up in our marriage, economics comes up in our marriage, I if, I, if I've forgiven my wife, she's forgiven me, we're not allowed to say, "We just, we just talked about this last week. You always do this, right? We're not allowed to... To dig up things in the past and use them against you in the present. That's the history test. I won't bring it up and use it against you. Number three is the gossip test. I won't talk to others about it. And number four is the relationship test. I won't allow this to stand between us and hinder our personal relationship. Listen to this. Listen to this. There is no such thing as a biblical forgiveness that says, I don't want a relationship with that person anymore. There's no such thing. If you forgive the person, by definition, you're saying, I'm going to work on the relationship as much as possible. How many people over the years? Oh, I, forgive, I forgave my mom years ago. I just don't speak to her anymore. You what? Like Christians legit have a category called, I forgave, but I don't have a relationship. You know, and by that, I mean by their own doing. I'm not, you know, sometimes people don't want a relationship and there's nothing you can do about it. you tried everything. That's not what I'm saying. There's no such thing as a Christian that says, I forgave, but I don't want anything to do with that person anymore. You say, yeah, well, just, just try this on for size. Just imagine if God did that with us, right? We, we forgive as God and Christ forgave us, right? That's the model. God says, um, you know, Keith, I'll forgive you for that angry episode you have with your kids again. I forgive you, but I I just don't know that we can have a relationship anymore. I just don't know that we're going to be as close. Things aren't going to be the same anymore, right? You know, and, and yeah, I mean, I guess you can still be in my family, but there's just not going to be any sort of real. You imagine if God did that with us? The the, the beauty of the gospel, guys, is God says, "Forgiven, I want you in my family." Forgiven. Come, enjoy the joy of your master. Forgiven, child of God, fully adopted. That's our God. That's the gospel. No matter how many times we sin against God and we ask for forgiveness, he reconciles us fully. And here's the crazy thing. Biblical reconciliation actually will draw you closer in your relationship with God and with other people, believe it or not. It's, It's crazy how it works, so. Okay, so this is the procedure we we have to walk through it biblical forgiveness biblical confession And then the last thing remember that middle element on your on your diagram the middle element Okay, the differences the disagreement you say how do we deal with that? Okay, i'm reconciled with god i've dealt with my heart I've reconciled with the person that I had the fight with right we're friends again. We've reconciled So now we can come to the topic now We can talk about what brand of paint what kind of paint what color of paint and there's really just three categories You have to remember is it a preference issue? There's a chapter in the verse somewhere that talks about builder grade paint. I know it's here. It's in the concordance. Uh, it's not there, is it? Which means it's a preference issue. Which means Philippians 2 applies. Consider others as more important than yourself. You ready for this? You ready for this? Let her have her way. Defer to the other person. You say, that's hard to do. Yeah, it is. But keep reading in Philippians. Jesus himself didn't consider a quality of God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, took the form of a a bondservant to live and die in our place to accomplish our salvation. And if Jesus exemplifies that sort of humility, then we who follow him ought to as well by, by deferring to other people, prefer the other person. Second, is it a sin issue? It's repentance. This is easy. If the conflict is over something sinful, you repent or you call the other person to repentance and you turn your way back to the Lord. You say, what if we can't figure it out? We don't know if it's a preface issue or a sin issue. We can't do that. Then you commit to study the scripture and you solicit godly counsel. That's why you have pastors. That's why you have small group leaders. That's why you have older brothers and sisters and friends in Christ to work these things out. Okay? Let's do it. That hurts, doesn't it? We have a great God who's reconciled us in Christ, and it's our joy to pursue reconciliation with other people in his name and for his glory. Uh, Father, thank you for uh, time in your word and and time to think these things through. I pray that we would put these biblical truths into place in our marriages and in our families and other relationships. Father, this is hard because we we all are in love with our own way, and so we need to die to ourselves uh, thank you that the Lord Jesus came to live and die so that we would no longer live for ourselves but for him. And as we seek the Lord Jesus, Lord, make us humble, selfless people that love to honor you, that love to defer to others, and um, and, and live for your glory in all that we do. In Christ's name, amen.